want. Whatever you need. Anything you want done, baby, I'll do it naturally. Because I'm every woman. It's <laughs> all in me. Whoa. 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 Yeah. I thought about, like, belaboring that one. Like, really, really drawing it out and getting into the first verse. But, like, that is the most powerful chorus in all of history. Like... Just hearing Whitney claim to be every woman and yeah. then, like, and over and over and over, she gaslights you into thinking that she's every woman. And it's like, you ain't me, and bitch. Then, like, <laughs> I would be like, Whitney, I would have to do, I would have to literally create an Everest of cocaine <laughs> <laughs> to be... To be, to be too, too soon. Too soon. Too soon. No, no, it's not. It's too never soon, soon enough. Uh, it's not too soon. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Continue Podcast. This is not a television or film product. This is a podcast that is also not about Whitney Houston doing blow. This is a podcast. <laughs> of, <laughs> the number one iTunes podcast. No, the number one. I, I guarantee you that if we just changed formats and tried to become a podcast about Whitney Houston doing blow, we would be like number five. We, like no, not we, even, also, I don't think anybody would no, notice. Not, this American honestly. Life would talk about like this hot new podcast. Uh, you'll if you like continue. Cereal, the only like, podcast yeah. about Whitney Houston doing blow. Um, no, this is the Continue Podcast, or a podcast that is first and foremost about video games, but all of the media that we, the three of us, love, and continuing the conversation about it. My name is Anthony John Agnello, and with me are my favorite people who love Whitney Houston doing blow, Susan Arndt. <laughs> Just say, just say, just say the words Whitney Houston doing blow and you'll, I just, your I, day is better. Okay, so I just, there was, a, okay, at one point during, during Whitney's downslide, she did an interview <gasps> with her then husband, Bobby Brown, oh where he discussed her being constipated and him having to put his hand up her butt and she's trying to get him to shut up the whole time mm-hmm. and that's just. That's sadly the literally the first thing, and he was he was like to him this was the ultimate declaration of love. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he's explaining this like this is how much I love this. Well, woman. no, get, make, making her all the money for that Ghostbusters two song. That's the that's the real declaration of love. Well, sure. Writing yeah. the line too hot to handle, too cold, too cold to hold. They're the Ghostbusters and they're in control. That's. That's a good song. It's, yeah, that's a that's it, that's a it's, jam, it's, <laughs> guys. I think we got it. I think we got the making of a limited, the hot new limited podcast series. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm I'm every woman. No, you're not. Episode one. <laughs> oh, oh man. Um, we also have Steph Roberts, Dave Roberts on the show. Uh, before we dive in, uh, I, I would just want to pour one out to uh, The Last Remnant, the Whitney Houston on cocaine of video games, and its disappearance. Oh, from that's the right. Gone, know, is Last gone, Remnant but not forgotten. The Whitney Houston on blow of video games. 
It's it's very much of an era when Square Enix and Microsoft were really trying to make JRPGs happen on the 360. They were. Reminiscent of someone hopped up on cocaine trying to show you something <laughs> really cool. Yeah. yeah. There's there's been- No, no, dude, 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 no, dude, no, dude. You gotta see this. There's why are you using Unreal for Where you this? just hear Peter Moore in the background being like, I am crushing this! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, I always just picture him and his little goatee. Um, okay, speaking of JRPGs, uh, all three of us have been playing various JRPGs. And I have not only been playing new JRPGs, like Dragon Quest XI, which we're going to get into because Susan has oh yeah feelings I have opinions about this. Uh, but before we get there, I've also been playing an old role-playing game alongside it because it's about to turn twenty years old, and I'm I'm working on a story about it to celebrate its anniversary. So I've been playing Parasite Eve, and. If you do, you both remember Parasite. Oh yeah, I do. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's unforgettable for people that were played into it on a Vita a couple of years ago. That's the way to play it, man. Playing it on a Vita, it is so good as a portable game. Parasite Eve, for anyone that doesn't know, is one of the games that SquareSoft made after the success of Final Fantasy VII. Had a lot of the same staff. Tetsuya Nomura did all the character design. It had a very similar look, but it was. For as much as it looked like Final Fantasy VII, it was also very American. It was a weird sci-fi story taking place in New York City. You play an NYPD officer named Aya Bree, and she's caught up on Christmas Eve when an opera singer just starts setting people on fire with her mind during a show. And it turns out that she's been possessed by evil evolved mitochondria in her cells and there's a there's a revolution going on in the human body there's evil mitochondria trying to take over the world and destroy the tyranny of the nucleus uh it is weird as shit and it is so so good and it's so so good in all kinds of ways it's got a great battle system it's got great monster design it's very uh well paced but the thing that struck me the most while playing this we had a conversation a couple episodes ago about how your taste in games change as you get older, and I thought, man, I'm really drifting away from role-playing games because I have less time than I used to as a kid, and I just can't, like, pour myself into these 60-70 hour games unless there's something really special like Persona. I'm starting to wonder if that's not totally why. And the reason is this. Part of what makes Parasite Eve so damn good is every line of dialogue is very economical. And when I say mm. it's economical, I mean it's not bad dialogue, and it doesn't sacrifice character, it doesn't sacrifice information, there's tons of exposition, every character sounds like themselves, it's a much better translation than Final Fantasy VII was a year before. Nobody says shit. Sick. Yeah, nobody says shit like, this guy are sick. You get to the middle of a, di like a dialogue, and it's like, I heard about that incident in Japan. Are you familiar with this theory from Richard Dawkins? I was like, what the shit is this game from 1998? This is amazing. And so as I'm playing it, I'm realizing there is an art form to writing the script for games and especially role-playing games 
that has been lost over, I would say, the past decade. And it's that now that we no longer have to worry about memory constraints mm -hmm. or, or any of the things that would keep a script from being as expansive as a writer or development team could come up with, we've forgotten how to fill a game with dialogue that is actually moving at a decent speed, that is actually cooking along while still giving all of this relevant information. And so as I've been playing Parasite Eve, I all of a sudden thought of this quote from a novelist uh, I read uh, about a year ago. And he said, the thing that finally taught me how to write dialogue for stories, doesn't matter what medium I'm working in, is Twitter. Mm -hmm. And he's like, every single time I sit down and I start writing dialogue, I think to myself, could this work within the confines of a tweet? And he's like, I realize that a tweet is not a conversation, but it makes you think about every single word. Every single word. Does this word matter? Does this ellipsis matter? Does this exclamation point matter? And it's just, it's crazy to me playing all of this stuff because now I'm sitting there thinking about Octopath Traveler. Octopath Traveler is really pretty. I really had a lot of fun, but I had to get the hell out of there. And I realized, we've talked on the show before, the dialogue is so terribly paced and now I'm realizing, just cut the words in half. Just trim it the hell down. So for you guys, I'm wondering, am I crazy? Is this is this a real thing? Is this a problem in games? And do you find yourself thinking, man, scripts in video games need a goddamn editor and they need yes. to that. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, one of the problems is just like games need writers working on them. Yes. Right. Like yeah. the ga yeah. games just need writers uh, because... You know, game design is a talent. It is It is a very, like, there's a lot of work and, and soul that goes into it. It's an art form, and I respect it, but, like, a, game designers aren't always good writers, and mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. So I think that there needs to be a lot more respect for a writer in games other than just someone they bring on, like, two-thirds of the way through a project to, okay, here are our missions, come up with the story that ties it all together. Which, like, you know, they, they've talked about for, like, Ubisoft, I think, has, like, their interviews with writers and stuff who, on the record, saying that, like, yeah, like, I have this story. They change a mission. They're like, okay, this mission's cut. You need to connect the story from here to here. How do you do it? Eesh. Well, I don't know. that <laughs> Like, your story suffers for that. I also think there's, the prob there's a problem, too, with, not a problem, but just that there's definitely a divide in culture with how, like, Japanese people and Japanese media tell stories mm. compared to American media. There's a lot of back and forth, a lot of questions, a lot of repeating things over and over that, like, feels like filler to us. But in Japan, that's just how people talk, you know? Sure. So and I think that, like... Finding a way, like a good localizer will find a way to bridge that divide to make it um, resonate more with America. It's why it's why Solid Snake always like says things in a question. Like it's it's a joke. Yeah, because that's just what, you know, you did in Japan. You just say the same thing, but with the question as a way that you like, I understand what you're trying to say to me. 
I think like Parasite Eve worked because it was developed for an American audience in mind. I think Mm. maybe they were cognizant of that. And it's also, it's based off a book. Oh, no, 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 this is, this is, this is a thing that people get wrong. Oh, is it the other way around? Parasite Eve, the video game is technically a sequel. It is not an adaptation. Like everything that's happening in Parasite Eve, the game follows the events of the book and so like what (laughs) and they it's funny because they don't they they the only reference to it is a character who is a japanese scientist shows up halfway through the game and he's like this has happened before a giant baby made of orange jelly is gonna try to kill everybody you gotta get this shit on lockdown stat uh but anyway susan like you you play very long modern RPGs. Mm-hmm. You play things like Persona, and they have very, very involved scripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the exact same time, I think about, you know, I, I love Persona, and I love that because of the way the dialogue rolls out. And I think about other things that you've played in recent years, like Dragon Quest Seven, which you detested. Hated it. Hated it. <laughs> and that game has what I think of as a very economical script, but one that's devoid of character. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you think is, you know, what what is like the happy medium here? Am I am I crazy for wanting shorter scripts and everything? Or? No, not at all. And when you when you say economical, what you're actually meaning is meaningful. Mm-hmm. Every word has an intent and a purpose. In persona Persona is a very verbose series. It's a very verbose franchise. But every exchange has meaning. It's advancing the plot. It's advancing your understanding of personalities. It's advancing subplots, like your relationship with somebody. Everything goes somewhere, if only to help define the characters. Like there's a scene in Persona 5, all the kids get together and they decide to make hot pot one night. Yeah, it's it's, it's awesome. The scene achieves nothing. It doesn't It doesn't have anything to do with anything except better informing you about what is Anne's personality like? You know, what is Joker's personality like? Everybody converses as themselves, as high school kids mm-hmm. who are in this ridiculous... Like, the whole business about, you know, stealing hearts and all that is kind of put to the side for a little while so they can have this moment as human beings and relate to each other. What the, the the kind of stuff you tend to get that makes you like, can I advance this, please? Can I skip this? Is rehashing of stuff we already know. Like, we get it. Yes, we have to go to this place to fight the thing or else the world will end. We know. I know this because it, that's been the point for the past 30 hours. Why are we having this conversation right now? Oh, my God. That's the stuff that you end up running into a lot in, and not just RPGs, like, Everything. In games! In in all the video games. <clears throat> yeah. I, I've been playing Shadow of the Tomb Raider, and Shadow of the Tomb Raider... <laughs> the story starts really good. It starts in a great place. But then, as you get hours and hours in, like, the story that it starts just sort of vanishes. Kills and breeze. Yeah, and, and what, what, what uh, replaces it is side quests... Where you just are running into characters who are part of, like, a secluded Peruvian society that has no contact with the outside world. They all speak English. Uh, Don't worry about it. 
And like, here's the thing. Like, stuff like that, like, shortcuts, I'll give you. Sure, but, like, they just drone the fuck uh, on. Shut up! Shut yeah. up! Tell me well, you need the bauble! Tell me you, like... If yeah, all you're Rise of the Tomb Raider is, had yeah. that problem too, where you'd have like characters that you meet. And it's like, hey, I need you to rescue some prisoners, but they take like five minutes to say that, and it's like unless the game has made the effort to invest you in that plight, right? Why are you all me? you see it is is like give give me I'll do right. thing for you, just yeah. give it yeah. now. And I, and I totally understand the inclination to want to make that more meaningful, right? Like you don't want nope. it to, yeah. you don't want your NPCs to basically be you know pull handle get quest, yes. except except we want you to, do <laughs> yeah. That, and, right? and like sometimes <laughs> like, sometimes that shit is just okay. It's just yeah. fine. Like that's I've been also you know in this amalgam of role playing games that I've been playing. Over the past month, I've been playing Monster Hunter World with a friend, co-op. Mm. And Monster Hunter World is incredibly intimidating, like all Monster Hunters, because there's all of these complex systems and things that you need to learn, and the game tells you fuck all about them. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, though, that feels so much more natural to, like, there is a person who you go to in the town, and they will have the side quests for you. That's it. You, you, you go into a menu and it's like, hey, this guy who runs the restaurant needs a bunch of mushrooms. There's no, like, traveler, thank you for coming by. Let me tell you about my daughter's day at Sunday school. By the way, my crappy soup needs... And, like, shut up. Shut yeah. up. But, I, you know, to go back to Persona for a second, I never skipped one of those text chain conversations in Persona where, like, everybody was talking to each other. Yeah. And... That's all recap. It's all information that has mm -hmm. already been covered. It's all things that you want to say, like, you know, well, can we move it along here? You're, you're, you're kind of drawing this out. But, like you said, Susan, all of that stuff informs character. And, like, mm -hmm. even repeating information that the players heard, even as many as four times, is still rich if you're getting a different perspective on it, if you're getting a character reacting right. to it in some way. But also, and also I would argue that in Persona, which is very long, yeah. and it's very foolish to expect that your player is going to just, this is my life now for the next, you know, <laughs> um, they, they might forget what's what's going on. And so it, the ability to have something in your game, Professor Layton does this beautifully. Yeah. The okay, this is to refresh. If you don't need that, I zoomed through those text messages, yeah. <laughs> right? I didn't care, but like any any scene with animation in it where they were talking to each other that way, that that was different for me. Yeah. So that's it served both you and me, and you know what it, what drives me bananas is and Destiny is so bad for this man, uh. so bad. Like Eris Morn. Bless her heart. Shut up, honey. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody cares. Nobody would listen to Eris Morn for five seconds if they didn't feel bad for her. Everybody feels and, bad and for exactly her. That's exactly true. That's the only reason anybody's listening to her her gothy bullshit. Yep. It, you know, Ikora Ray, I'm like, I, I will listen to you all day because you have one of the most beautiful voices on, on Earth. Um, I don't, whatever. The lightning, right. I'm a warlock. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're kindred and we walk up. Yeah. Got it. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go kill these bros. All right. Peace out. <laughs> I will say the best thing 
The best thing in Shadow of the Tomb Raider is when you talk to random NPCs in the populated areas, you, like, unless it's, like, a story thing or a side mission thing, Lara will lock into the conversation with them, and you still have control of her movement, but, like, <laughs> she's facing her, and so... When you want to, like, can out of the dialogue animation, she just keeps backing away <laughs> while still staring at them. And, like, you can... Homer going into a bush? Yes! You just are constantly creating Homer going into the bush movements. She's like, cool, bro. I'll see you later if I run back through here. Uh, Bye. I wonder Bye. if she'll pick up on the, the subtle conversational cues that I want to extract myself <laughs> <Yeah>. from this <sighs> dialogue. With their with their dead eyes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I will say something that we've also talked about on the show kind of frequently in the past year, because games like Octopath Traveler and uh, I Am Setsuna and Lost Sphere, these these supposed throwbacks to sort of old-school RPG design, um, you know, we've talked about the reason that they don't work is that they're so derivative, they're, they're you know, to the it's not so much homage, it is just, like, really belabored imitation. Mm. And I've realized that the reason these games all feel so ponderous is nobody goes back and says, part of this form, part of the reason this old format worked in the first place is because characterization had to be so boiled down it was freaking caramelized, you know? Like, just keep reducing, reducing, reducing until you just have the sweetest little bits of character. And that's your script, because you don't have more space for anything. Or and, time. Or time. Mm. Or time. You gotta get... Like, one Final year. Fantasy VI, one what was year. it, a year? One year. And it's, like, one of the most beloved stories JRPGs ever made. The funny thing is, is here we are, we're 22 years on from that game, or 23 years at this point, 23 years on from that game, people are still talking about it, and nobody talks about Dragon Quest VI, because it came out at the exact same time, and talk about a goddamn game that drew everything out forever. Dragon Quest VI comes out after Dragon Quest V, one of the most beloved stories in video game history and they're like oh well our only choice is just do more 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 uh and more characters more job system stuff more of everything uh it was the antithesis of that that economical or as you put it susan meaningful uh approach to telling story and all of that way back in the day uh it's been a very long time since a new dragon quest came out at all. There's been plenty of re-releases, but this is the first brand new one in the United States in eight years, Dragon Quest Eleven. Uh, Dragon Quest Eleven has, has an interesting approach to economical <laughs> time management. Wouldn't you say, Susan? <laughs> the opening of that game is bullshit, and they should be ashamed. <laughs> Alright. I've only played 20 minutes. So I've played, like, the very, very first thing you do, which is this story-based dungeon with only a handful of battles. It's the, it's, it's the beginning of the tutorial. The beginning of the tutorial. Yeah. My, my very first thought playing it, because you're, you're playing as the main character, your typical faded hero in a Dragon Quest and in, in, in video game, uh, and he's going along with his childhood friend slash love interest, and she, like... 
I, I think she speaks every 0.3 seconds in battle. <laughs> and oh my, 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 I played this game for 20 minutes, and I think within those 20 minutes, I thought 45 times, Susan Art is going to fucking murder somebody <laughs> when she plays this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did it! Oh, you saved me! Oh, I can't believe we got through that one thing to your manly prowess! Pretty much. She I, just... She just keeps I going. I tweeted at, at the time, Dear Gemma, because that's her name, please shut the fuck up. Yours sincerely, everyone playing Dragon Quest XI today. <laughs> so here's, okay, so here's, here's, here. <clears throat> so I will say that after a certain point, uh, Dragon Quest XI gets back to being Dragon Quest and while it is still very linear at that point, mm -hmm. it's it's much the pacing is much better. Uh, it's much more interesting, and it it it's it's still not great where I am, but it's it's definitely better. How much have you played at this point? Uh, I think about eleven hours or so. Oh wow! So a substantial amount, like uh, well, not for Dragon <clears throat> Quest, but I you know not an insignificant blip. Sure. Yeah. So the first, okay, so you, you do this thing with your, with your childhood friend. You go to the, uh, it's something everybody does when they come of age in your town of Cobblestone. You go to the top of the tour and you say a prayer and, that, and now you're an adult. You and your best friend go up. While you're up there, this big ass bird comes and tries to eat you. A mark on the back of your hand glows. Big lightning strike or something. I don't even fucking remember. Bird, ah! And it's like, oh, shit, what's up with that? Okay, so you go down back to the village, and your mom tells you, here's this necklace. You got to go to the castle. I don't know why. You just do. <laughs> here's a horse. Great. So now, the, what happens over the next two and a half motherfucking hours is you go to the castle. Along the way, you learn how to ride a horse, how to call a horse. You get to the castle, you present yourself to the king. He's like, ha ha, sucker. He throws you in the dungeon. You meet a, a dude named Eric. The two of you escape. And eventually you go off on... on Stoltz? Is it Stoltz? Sadly, no. Damn it! <laughs> it is not. Uh, uh, and and you, go, you go off and that the, your quest actually begins. All right. At that point... Okay, so... That should take like a half hour. <laughs> no, no, no. Because first, there's got to be the big ponderous scene of, oh, you're being betrayed. And here are these dudes. Here are these knights who will become important later in the story. Right now, you have no idea why we're focusing on them so much. But here they are. Isn't their hair very pretty? Now you go into the dungeon. Oh, we're going to talk to this other prisoner, why is he relevant? I'm not sure. And it's just, it does this thing that I, that RPGs do sometimes that fucking pisses me off. I, we will give you control of your character so you can walk five feet. Uh, I, now it's time for a cutscene. That's another one. I like. I I don't. I, I think that's like just universal in games at this point. I I don't understand why. Uh, and like again, maybe a developer can tell me. What is the meaning of making Please. me walk? Well, 
It's yeah. because it's nobody wants to be accused of being a Kojima and having an hour-long cut. Oh, my God, better. I would rather. Uh, I, I, it's so... Because then... Okay, so you and Eric, he's dug a tunnel. You go through the tunnel. You walk down the tunnel. Again, this is several different... And there's loading screens in between. Oh, no. Thank you. Oh, God. So... You get to oh, but there and there's a stealth section. Oh no! Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That doesn't oh, go in yes. a dragon quest. <laughs> oh, it does. Yeah, your buddy. grandpa's dragon quest. Yeah. Oh, it should be though. Motherfucking stealth section, it's made bitch. By a grandpa. Come and on. It, it's 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 it, it's not interesting at all. And it, it it just feels like you're doing it because someone was like, "Wouldn't it be cool if I had a stealth section here?" You finally find this big fucking dragon, and you think, naturally, oh my god, I have to fight this big fucking dragon? He's gonna kill me. No, you're gonna run from the dragon. So now begins my third least favorite, run into the camera away from big catastrophe. Oh, but it doesn't do it just once. No, 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 no. You do it three fucking times. Let, I, I... I know that we have some developers who listen to this show. And I just want to tell them mm-hmm. the running into the camera to escape maneuver has worked once. One time. And then when Sonic tried to do it again with that killer whale, that sucked. It sucked the second time. <laughs> it worked once. It did, actually. Sonic yeah. got to run away from the once. killer whale one time. Everybody else stopped. He ruined it for everybody. Yep. Enough. <laughs> Yeah, no. and then yeah. two and a half hours into this game, you find, like, it got, like, the, the intro cutscene, like, the, the thing that you see before you press start, it's, like, the, the intro little cinematic, starts playing again, and I'm like, did I just fucking loop back to the beginning? <laughs> like, did, did the I game skipped, just, like, reset I, on me? <laughs> I skipped, as soon as the game booted up and that little cinematic thing started... I was like, no fucking way. I know you're going to force me to watch this. It's so no, luckily, a little thing pops up that says hold X to skip. But yeah, like two and a half hours in, title screen, oh. and then oh, the game starts. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. The game doesn't start until you and Eric have escaped the castle. Two and a half motherfucking hours. And here's the thing, because this is what I was telling you, Anthony. That's how Persona 4 is. You don't do shit in Persona 4 for two solid hours. You don't even, like... And the game doesn't cut you loose for ten. No. No. So, but here's the difference. It's not making you do little bullshit things like walk ten feet. You press X to advance the story as you watch it unfold. Mm -hmm. And the story is interesting. And it teaches you things. And it teaches you things. Constantly. Yeah, it's, it's introducing... Uh, character traits. There's a dead body hanging upside down from a TV antenna. What? It's 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 imbuing like mystery. Like, why are you out here in the middle of nowhere? Mm-hmm. Why have you been shipped off here? Like, there's little things that are all very intriguing. Absolutely nothing that happens in the beginning of Dragon Quest is interesting. See, nothing. the thing is, like, <laughs> I'm hearing all of this, and I 100% agree with you. But I'm having the opposite reaction where I'm like, this is like a this is like a warm, cozy blanket. I'm just gonna drape this game over me and I'm gonna curl up and it's cold outside and here we go. Let's uh sure, two hours to walk to the next town. I don't care, I got time. C- like, I don't know if it's just my brain really wants something like this right now. Or because I've met like this is the first Dragon Quest that I've actually sat down and said, 
I'm gonna go the distance on this. So all of this is like new to me um, in a way, but like I'm actually kind of enjoying the glacial pace of it. Also, I'm playing on PC and have the thing loaded on my solid state drive. So the load, like I don't even have time to read those little notes that pop up during loading. It's just boom, you're into the next room. Boom, you're into the next room. Yeah. Like, it feels a lot snappier than what you're describing, and I'm wondering if it's because of, like, because I'm I'm playing on my PC. So, How far uh, into it are you? Uh, I just got to, I just got, uh, was it Silvando in my party? Oh, you're ahead of me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're ahead um, of me then. So, but like, it's, Land, Land, it's Lando Calrissian's cousin. <laughs> he's a yes. he's a uh, a roguish not rogue no he's like a like what's the word to describe I don't want to say effeminate but he kind of has a effeminate look to him but like all the ladies are into him he's like a oh it's that traditional uh, the traditional JRPG yeah, it's a dandy boy feet rogue yeah the dandy yeah um, but yeah he's 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 cool. <laughs> He's got a like does a he, bad does Antonio he occasionally Bandera. flip out a rose. No, but he's he he's out a, a rose and smell he's it. He's a carnival guy. He does juggling stuff, and he has a really bad Antonio Banderas accent, and I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh man. Well, Susan, like you know, now that it's finally, like, so the after those two and a half hours, what happened during the successive eight that you played? Did you? Like, you said it was linear, but were you satisfied? Like, was the battle system Dragon Quest-y and good? Well, I mean, the, oh, yeah. I mean, the the fights are, are Dragon Quest. There's uh, the greatest enemy of all time, the Sham yes. Hat Witch. <laughs> <laughs> which is a pig wearing a witch's hat. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. The names are real good. It's great. It's so good. Uh, well, what happens after... Because, like... Once you have something more interesting to do, then go figure out why your hand is glowing. Mm. Then it's it's you know you, you're you're meeting interesting people and and strange things are happening that are intriguing and you uh you two people join your party. I don't want to I don't I don't want to explain who they are, um, but they're they're very well acted and they're very interesting, different feeling characters. So once they're in your party, now it's not just you who are a complete blank slate and Eric, who is only slightly more defined than you. Now you've got some personality going. Now there's there's some interesting stuff happening. And now it, it there's different equipment to play with. And you get uh, the ability to forge your own weapons and armor. And that's really fun. The, the mini game for that is... I really like it because it's a little bit more strategic than you'd expect. And, you know, finding ingredients to try and, and make different pieces of armor or accessories or stuff. All super cool. So once you get to the point where the story begins in earnest, yeah, it's just go to the next town to talk to person Z. But the stuff you'll encounter along the way makes the journey interesting. And then what you find out when you talk to this person makes the journey more interesting. I think all of that stuff, too, has always been the meat on the bone for Dragon Quest. Mm -hmm. Dragon Quest has this reputation, sort of broadly, uh, that it's just meat and potatoes RPG. It's just story tropes and grinding, and that's kind of it, and that's why people like it. Because it's just grind, 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 and it's pretty and sounds nice. 
But that's not really true. In fact, Dragon Quest, going all the way back to its original form in the mid-80s, was the idea of saying, here's all this grindy stuff from wizardry and Dungeons and & Dragons mm. and all of that stuff that's a little bit too dense for the average person. Let's take all that stuff and use it as a foundation to hook them, and then everything else is just like crazy art and monsters, like a sham hand witch, <laughs> which is, I just got it, and that's amazing. <laughs> I just got yeah, it. It's that's, so good. It's yeah, so it's 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 so characters. Good. It's you know the you didn't just save a princess in the original Dragon Quest. You had to find a cave. And then there was one room in the cave where you could see a woman who was trapped. And then when you tried to get in that room, there was a single dragon. And you'd never seen a dragon before that. And it was the most powerful thing you encounter at that point. And it almost feels like a, like a short game within another game. It's all this incident. It's all this character richness. And it's not the grindy stuff that makes Dragon Quest Dragon Quest. Um, do you think, Susan that you would have enjoyed those first two and a half hours if you were watching a number get bigger. If there was something that was a grindy aspect to go along with the sort of perfunctory forced story beats that felt meaningless without something. Maybe. Quite possibly. If I had felt like I was at least achieving mm. something, I, I just felt like I was waiting. <laughs> Really, I was, I, was, I was waiting and being forced to engage just often enough that I couldn't just sit back and enjoy yeah. the spectacle. Well, you've been, you've been playing... So if at, le if at least some goddamn numbers were going up. You've been playing something that is, uh, I guess, like a, a sort of appropriate complement to Dragon Quest at the exact same time as you've been playing Dragon Quest XI. You've been playing Slime Rancher. Yes. Slime Rancher. So true story. Uh, my husband comes downstairs and he sees me playing Slime Rancher. He's and what is this? I say Slime Rancher. He's like, so are these, are these slimes from from your Dragon Quest game? No, these are different slimes. slimes. Yes. What do you do? Well, you catch them and you put them in cages and then you feed them and then you sell that's, their poop. That's the Susan Arntis He's thing like, that's... I've ever heard of in my entire life. <laughs> right. The only way it could be more me yes. is if you put yeah. hats on them. Big time. But uh, so 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 last time we were talking about games need to have it an uh, an intent. They mm. need to have a vision. And Dave's like, "Yeah, you just gotta watch the numbers go up." And I swear to Christ, all you do in <laughs> Slime Rancher is watch numbers go up, and it is the best goddamn thing. So if you ha if you have not played this game, it's on PC. It's also on PS4. You are uh, you are a rancher in outer space. I think it's called the far, far away or the far, far reach or something like that. And you have a ranch in which you can imprison slimes, which you catch from all over the land, different kinds of slimes. And they like different kinds of food and their poop, which comes out as little gemstones, is worth different kinds, different <laughs> amounts of money. <laughs> comes the out end. as gemstones. And that's it. A remarkable turn as phrase. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're called... Plorts. Tell me, plort. do you see that spelled out in like a colorful? Oh, that's Sadly, you do not. Damn it, you do not. Uh, but really, like all—I mean, there's there's sort of a story, 
The really, I mean, the goal of the game is nothing more than unlocking all of the areas on your map, discovering all the slimes. <laughs> the end. Make the numbers go up. That's it. That's it. You made but the numbers like, go up. But the numbers go up. And that's up. enough. Exactly. Like, that's enough oh. to make it satisfying. Yeah. It is. It is like, oh, well, if I get these kind, these kind of slimes have very expensive poop. So if I can catch some of them and I'll put them in a cage and then, oh, wait, but I got to grow their favorite food. Okay, let me do it. And then the numbers go up. And it was, I'm like the entire time I'm sitting there after a certain point when I have realized that there is nothing more to the game. I'm like, this is the stupidest <laughs> fucking thing. Well, I don't even know why I'm doing that. And then another hour will go by and I'll make the numbers go up. And it was like, yes. I have to, I like, oh, maximum efficiency. Yes. Because you can, you can breed them. You can breed two kinds of slimes together and then they poop two different kinds of gemstones. So like maximum ranch yep. efficiency. Like, yes, I will make you into this kind of slime that has very cheap food, but has very yeah. expensive pool. It's yes. like, it's like pocket card jockey. Yes! Like pocket card, pocket card jockey yeah. is just like, like, like underneath everything. It's just a really fun, fast version of a solitaire video game. It's, it's like, what, oh, right. not to bring it back to Whitney Houston, guys. <laughs> but clearly, the guys at Game Freak, when they were developing Pocket Card Jockey, they were like, all right, Microsoft Windows 95 Solitaire is cocaine. Let's make the crack version of that. And it is, like, Pocket Card Jockey is crack. But you're constantly like, oh, man, now my two horses had a new horse who's slightly faster and has more carrots. <laughs> <laughs> and can go around corners faster, and I like it. It's good. I've named oh, him Horsey. No, it's not. It's not. I've named him Abe Vaguda's Fire Hair. And, like, it doesn't. <laughs> yes, Abe Vaguda's Fire Hair was a real horse in my stable. Nice. This, I, I told you I had to delete that game. <laughs> but. <laughs> like, like, that's enough. That's, that's plenty in that context. Um. Yeah, actually, have I ever have I ever talked to you guys about Progress Quest? Are you familiar with Progress Quest? I am. Yeah, yeah that's like so, the king of making yeah. the numbers go up. It's the deepest cut, Dave. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, it's like yeah, Progress Quest, and then it was like Cow Clicker and then Cookie Clicker and Candy Box, uh, all sort of start like those were the two that were like, okay, well, what if we made Progress into Quest a video into game, a video instead game? Of something you watch, and then. And then the idol genre <laughs> yeah. became a thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's so weird. I Susan, do you think you're going to keep playing Slime Rancher? Uh, no, because I finished. <laughs> <laughs> the numbers can't go any higher. There's no more numbers to go up. But like, it, like if there was an like, infinite okay, so, mode, okay. would you play an infinite mode? No. No? No. All right. All right. <laughs> well, no, because here's okay. So here's the thing. So after you you finish the air quote story, which and that it is very much an air quote story. Uh, it's basically just this: the guy who owned the the ranch before you has left you little messages all over the world. When mm. you find the last one, you finish adventure mode, and then at that point you get a letter from him that tells you, "I've hidden three vaults full of cash." And so the only thing you have left to do at that point is to find these three vaults, open them, and crack open all the treasure pods within. 
at a certain point, like, and I was like, okay, I need to, okay, to get the, 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 tre- the treasure cracker that will work on those pods, I have to make 100 gadgets. Okay, so let me do that. To make the gadgets, I need these resources. So, and like when I realized that was like, I'm in that level of make the numbers go up, I'm like, n- no, no, I need to, <laughs> and <laughs> right? <laughs> You've hit Bitcoin like level. You're di- you dug too greedily and too deep into the numbers hole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I need to. I need to go now. I. There's a poo-shaped Balrog that comes out and it's like, look what you've unleashed <laughs> with your insatiable hunger for numbers. I. It's. It's interesting to hear, like, to 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 find out where somebody's boundary is for the watching the number get big is enough thing because the, the num like I, I look at the things that I get addicted to that are the number getting bigger things. Like I know it doesn't totally count, but I think of Tetris, like in a lot of ways, once you've locked into a groove with Tetris, you're no longer sitting there and really like fighting the puzzle. You're just struggling to make the number go up. You're like, Oh, I hit level 20. Oh, I hit level 22. I hit level 23. Or like pocket card jockey, you're like, oh, I did the biggest card spread. And the thing that'll hook me is the the compulsive activity. It's com- like spinning the block in Tetris or continuing to tap all the cards in pocket card jockey. Like the, the watching the number get bigger pulled me along. But then the thing that gets me to stay is the compulsive behavior. And it sounds like Slime Rancher doesn't have that it does not or yeah or do, or does, uh, does does it eventually lose you like is there can you think of something where the number just keeps getting bigger that you stuck around for gosh destiny really oh my god the ultimate number's getting bigger. that is the i mean yeah because here's the thing like <laughs> i don't i don't do uh end game content like i don't do rates right so i played that game and i and i don't play it anymore i don't play destiny 2 uh, even though Forsaken came out, I'm just, I'm like, no, because that was it. It was just, and, and to be, and the, 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 the shooting is so good. Yeah. And, but it was just make the numbers go up, make the numbers go up. Oh, Hey, this helmet's slightly better. Awesome. Make the numbers go up. Yeah. And I just, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Kids. It's funny that I think like destiny is a great sort of illustration of what I was just talking about, wherein you know, like, I stopped playing Destiny 2 because I got past that watching the numbers go up, I got past the story, and then it didn't have the compulsive thing. Like, the, the shooting wasn't enough. Mm. It wasn't wasn't buttery and creamy enough to keep me... You guys tell I haven't had dinner yet? I keep... <laughs> I know, I'm starving. <laughs> I'm, just getting, I'm just getting into an edible place with the metaphors. But, like, you know, Destiny 1 was the complete opposite. Destiny 1 kept me in for a really long time in that in that watching the numbers get bigger because everything was so pleasurable in a fundamental way. Like, continuing to do Court of Oryx was the funnest mm. thing in the world, even if you'd done it a hundred times before. Uh, I am intrigued by a game that asks me to do something that I don't necessarily want to. Uh, I don't know about you guys, I, I like to uh, 
I always like to be a good guy in games. I'm not like a Sith Lord in Knights of the Old Republic. Nope. Uh, I li- yeah. Are, are you always Paragon in Mass Effect, Susan? Oh yeah, I've in? I've tried to do like like Fable can't, Mass Effect. I can't. I can't. Right. Can't do it. I doesn't can't do feel it. right. Dave, you have had a very interesting experience uh, in the past couple of weeks with a game. I, I'm excited just to hear about what it is because I don't know a lot about it. But Frostpunk has forced you to the dark side. And I'm curious about it. Yeah. In a very interesting way. So uh, the game, it's made by 11-bit which is the same studio that made... It's the second game, the same studio that made this War of Mine, which, as you know, is a sunny, fun-time romp in a war-torn uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, no, it's very dour. It's it's at least, like, sci-fi alternate Victorian England, so there's at least, like, a fictive layer of removal, so the dourness doesn't, like, feel like, oh, this is actually real. Oh, okay. Um, but it is basically, it is a, it's a city builder slash society builder slash survival game. Really? Uh, it takes place. Yeah. It takes place in this sort of alternate version of 19th century, like late 19th century, early 20th century London. Huge frost has swept the land and the game doesn't really do a good job of explaining why you and like a hundred other people have left London for the North. Just that you need to leave and you need to set up a city somewhere else. And you do that. And you find this. And you couldn't. And Ed Harris didn't have any room on the train. No, he didn't have any room on the train. <laughs> uh, no. So so you go, you find basically find this canyon and this abandoned steam uh, engine, basically. It's like a steam furnace. You activate it. And you're like, okay, this is where we're going to try to build a city something that we can use to survive. And at first you only have about 80 people with you. Uh, and so you're just trying to like gather some coal, some wood to build some, some tents and you're going to get this furnace started. And the furnace is in the middle and you build around it in these concentric circles and the furnace radiates heat outward. So your first layer will be your warmest because it's the closest to the to the uh, to the furnace so you want to have like all of your your hospitals and your that's like your people living here but eventually you need to start building outward cuz you just you run out of space so then it becomes a game of like okay well what buildings can i afford to put in the second layer or the second row behind this first one that's okay to be a little colder because as it gets colder your citizens are more likely to get sick maybe freeze and get frostbite. Oh my God, are you figuring out who's expendable? Yeah, you can, okay. So yes and no, not on a like one-to-one basis, but you are like, you are building little workstations for people to work and you assign workers and you assign engineers. Oh, here's the other thing. Of those 80 people with you, 15 of them are children. Oh no. So in addition to building buildings, you also have Maybe the taste best. You <laughs> also have the ability Stop quoting Captain America, it, Susan. God. It does not it does not get that dark. At least Okay, good. Yet. Good. Good. <laughs> uh, so 
you, in addition to building buildings, you also have the ability to uh, to create laws for this new society that you're building. And some of the laws are like, okay, I'm going to pass an edict that will allow me to force my workers in this particular building to work an extra long, or to work 24 hours. Like, it's like, we really need coal guys. Uh, so you click the button and they're like, oh no, well, I guess we have to do it. Uh, their discontent goes up. But in order to make that happen, you have to sign it into law first that you can do this. One of the options that you get, what do we do with these kids? Do you make them work? None, you know, not bad jobs. Like they'll help out in like the, the cookery, making food for your people. But once you pass that law, one of the other ones is like, well, we need them to work in the coal mines. Oh, no. We don't have enough people. You can, Or you can build a uh, shelter for the children. They won't work. They won't provide any help for your society. But people will be happier knowing that their kids are safe while they're working. And eventually you can uh, pass another law that will teach the children either medical skills or technical skills. So while they don't directly help people they, they are still they are still help like they make your medical uh your medical stations or your tech research a little bit more efficient how does all this look uh, how are you doing all of these things are, is it it's like an rts yeah it's like an rts thing so you have this overhead view of this canyon with the the boom this giant cylindrical furnace in the center all of your stuff and you're just you're picking stuff out of menus everything's really like like logically laid out uh you click a menu and then you just set it down and as long as you have the resources there's like there's coal steel um wood and then there are these really rare cores that you get that eventually you'll be able to build stuff like automatons that will allow you to uh build basically giant robots that will forage for supplies for you rather than having people do it um so the, the game goes okay for the first, like, three or four hours, right? I'm like, okay, this is a little hard. Uh, things are tough. People are sad. But I've got this. Eventually, you get the ability to, uh, to build a patrol to send people out on excursions so they can go out and look in outposts around the area. Sometimes they'll bring back supplies. Sometimes they'll find people. Uh, and in order to progress the story of this particular scenario... You eventually stumble across an outpost. No one survived. Oh. Like, you, you you find newspaper printings where people are talking about they have to eat each other in order to survive. Mm. The end is here. So the game has two different bars. There's discontent and there's hope. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's that kind of game. It's crazy. Yeah, it's fucking wild. So discontent is just like discomfort. Like, hey, my house is too cold. Or, hey, I'm hungry and you're not feeding me. That bar can go up. If discontent goes too high, your hope goes too low, uh, you can be ousted and executed or whatever. Like, bad stuff happens. They can kill you? Yeah, if they don't like you. Um, So... What happens is the your society, your little city, finds out like like they get word back that oh shit, like we're the last city left. The hope meter, whatever, like six hours of playing this game, my hope meter was like, yeah, I'm doing all right. <laughs> the game presents you with a choice. Oh God! You have to give your people purpose. <clears throat> Do you choose the path of order? 
or the path of faith. Not good or evil. So one path is um, more of a religious path. I'm not a religious person. I'm also not a fascist, so I was like, like, what do I pick? I went with order because there are things where it's like, okay, order allows you to set up guard posts, and having guards patrol the area, talk to people, be nice. Like, people like that. They like knowing that they're safe and protected. Fine. Uh, okay. I got this, right? A group uh, who call themselves the Londoners are like, we have to go back to home and find out what the fuck is going on, and we're going to convince as many people as we can to leave. So you have to build your hope back up, as well as maybe the Londoners start stealing your supplies. How do you deal with that? Do you just slap them on the wrist? Do you throw them in prison? Do you exile them from the city? And I'm, like, trying to be as nice as I can. Like, not, like, like you know, turning the other cheek, being like, look, you can't, stop, stop this. And, like, everything's kind of going okay for a while. Everything's fine. Groups of refugees just start showing up to my city. Oh, this is like no. 12 hours in, like 80 people. And the thing about, like, at first I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going to save everybody. This is great. People will help work, which is great. Like, like you need people to work your, your the stations to get resources, but you have to feed them. You have to yep. give them shelter. You run out of room, so all this, the stuff that you're building is too cold. Your furnace runs on coal that you need to, uh, like, you again, finite resources, uh, and you're building research to make all this stuff more, uh, more uh, efficient. So I have to start turning people away because, like, I have too many people. I don't have enough shit. Like, I don't have enough people to heal the sick people who are coming. I don't have enough food to feed them. Or shelter them, you find out what they're running from is a giant ice wall that is oh just my God. blowing in from the east. Winter is coming. Yeah, winter's it's motherfucking coming. coming. And you have a week to prepare because it's gonna get to negative 200 fucking degrees <gasps> Fahrenheit. And you just gotta write it out. And eventually I got to the point where my hope was so low, like a couple days before the, the, the storm hit that I had to take a look at my book of laws, and there's a thing that opens up called New Order. You will no longer have a hope meter. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It's just gone. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Instead, it's obedience. Oh, no! Oh, my God. People who are... Discontented people might get executed. Oh, my God! This game is crazy! I won the game... But the ending... Air like, quote. Yeah. yeah, the ending of the game says, hey, your city survived, but was it worth it? <laughs> oh my god. That is so awesome. It's fucking... Really and it, like the entire time I'm playing it, I'm like, I never once felt this with something like Mass Effect. You know? Like, ba mm -hmm. Mass Effect is such a binary thing. You Like, I'm never gonna pick the bad option as long as like the results are more or less the same, right? Like, I can progress the story, I can make it to the end, I can save everyone doing the good route. I'm gonna do it. This forces you just ever so slowly nudging you towards that toward that edge because you're never gonna have enough supplies, you're gonna have too many mouths to feed, there's never enough time to get everything that you want done. Meanwhile, the temperature is just slowly dropping. Oh so God. things that, like, like that, yeah. So... 
this game made me a bad person. Like I, I had like I felt like forced into it in a way that like no other game, I like that's presented that sort of choice to me. But there's like a reason. There's like a reason. Yeah. To be it, so like I, Man. like I guess I wanted to talk to you guys about like how do you feel about you know choice in games? Like do do you prefer games that take this the frostpunk approach of like like really living in those shades of gray and then watching as like one choice that you make like slowly ripples out or like how how do you make that work in a narrative game because this is very systemic it's a very like like it you only have about 50 days of game time from start to finish so like those kids that you like you're like oh the kids will eventually grow up and and into adults but no like the game just doesn't last that long it's literally like 2 months uh, so, like, yeah, like, do you think that you could make something like this work in a game like Mass Effect? Can it work? Like, what? I don't know. It's it's just fascinating okay, to okay. me. Okay, so there, there are, I, I think about the games that are the most interesting to me in, when they, when they put ethical and moral questions at the core of your yeah. gameplay. And I, <clears throat> you know, I, I think that Moral binary games are fun, you know, like, and they always boil down to like, are you just like Superman or are you a dick? <laughs> like, it's always, are you Superman? Or Unless are you it's a dickhead? Alpha Protocol and, when it's, are you a dickhead or <clears throat> are you a dickhead? Well, no, well, that's where I was sort okay. of headed because like Mass Effect and Knights of the Old Republic and Deus Ex, I think these games are so much fun but they are pretty ethically simplistic. And then there are things that have come out over the past four or five years, uh, most recently Vampire. Vampire's really good about mm, this. Vampire mm-hmm. is really, really interesting in, in the sort of moral quandary as it presents to you. Because it isn't just, you know, are you Superman or are you Dick? They, they are real ethical gray areas. And the other one that pops in my mind is Gods Will Be Watching. yes. And yeah, Gods Will Be Watching is a, a really, really interesting bad game. <laughs> uh, that game that game sucks just because they don't really it, it's random and they don't give you good tools to get to the story yeah. stuff. And Frostbunk sounds like in a lot of ways a sort of uh, societal approach to the sort of same questions that Gods Will Be Watching got to, which are like, how are you going to keep people alive in an environmentally hostile situation? and so on and so forth. Those games, Vampire and Gods Will Be Watching, I like them a lot, but they're always, their approach to a moral quandary is always, how are you going to make the most of a bad situation? Mm. And that's kind of it. Like, there's no, there's no good outcome. And what's so interesting about Frostpunk, the way you're talking about it, it sounds like somewhere inside of all of those systems is a good outcome. Like, it's not just, here's misery, and what form of misery are you going to take, and what does that say yeah. about you as a human being? The fact that hope is a uh, the quantification at all and preserving hope is that's one of the most fascinating goddamn ideas I've ever heard of in a game. <laughs> and it's like, it, on his face, it sounds like, oh, of course, discontented hope, how pretentious are you? But, like, it, it works. No! It, 
Well, it sounds it sounds so similar to Susan. What's the Mars game that you love? Uh, Tharsis. No, the, is that what it's called? The new one oh, that's surviving like, like Sim City ish. Surviving yeah. Mars. Surviving Mars. It almost sounds like if Surviving Mars was like, how can you make your Martian station the best station it can possibly be and love everyone that lives there <laughs> at the same time? That's so yeah, interesting. I was actually, uh, I looked it up right now because I remember seeing this, but there is an achievement for finishing the main scenario with no deaths from cold, hunger, sickness, or overwork. Oh, wow. And 36% of the people who've played this have gotten it. So there's a way to do it. Even, like, I guess even during the like the giant week-long storm that comes. I, I just want to say I take everything I said about Slime Rancher back. This is the Susan Arthur. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> you should... It's not, it's only on PC right now. Mm. Um, I imagine, like, this War of Mine eventually did come to consoles. I hope it also comes to PS4 like that one did. I think it could work, like, the same way that you can get Surviving Mars to, uh, and um, Jurassic yeah, Park right. and all those. Like, Yeah, they, they were great. They've figured out a way to make the PC strategy thing work on consoles in a way that they haven't been able to do for a while. Um, so I think like, like the, there's, there's a way to make this work on console, but I think that if, if you have a way to play it, it's 30 bucks on steam right now and it is excellent. Here's Susan. What do you, this is, what do you, make? Oh my God. I am, I am so in love with this terrible name. Horrible oh yeah. Name. Terrible Awful. name. I thought it was going to be like a platformer or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like oh, it's Oh, like... David's talking about a twee indie platformer again. Look at him go. <laughs> like, uh, you know you know what it made me think of? Jazz Punk. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, Jazz it's, it's going to yeah. be one of those. Like, no, clearly not. So uh, I'm so glad you talked about this because this is absolutely my jam. And here's why. So we've all seen, okay, Infinity War spoilers about to happen. Although I, I can't imagine anybody. Who if you've been on Twitter, that. like the day after that came out. Yeah, exactly. Here's the thing that's all that's really bothered me about the conversation after infinity war. Thanos is a psychopath. He's, you know, he, that's why he has this idea about killing everybody wrong. Motherfucker. Cause here's the thing. If I put to you, okay, you kill one person. There's no more hunger or suffering in the galaxy. You'd do it. Of course you would do it. All right. Now if it's 10 people, you still do it? Of course you would. Okay, but now it's 100. And now the question is, what's your number? Not whether or not it's something that is worth doing. It's what's your number? It's at what point yeah. is the number too high for it to be worth doing? Well, it's like right? that, that was that, that Twilight Zone episode about the box. Like, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, the box, right. And this is this is exactly at the heart of, of Frostpunk. Like, you need to save people. Not everybody can be next to the furnace. So how are you going to move everybody around? There is no everybody gets to be nice and toasty. So what's your number? I love that because that, like, in a crisis, in a disaster situation, you have to make those choices and they suck. But you have to keep your eye on the bigger goal, whether it's, you know, the continuation of the species or, you know, the survival of your family or whatever. 
Like, you know, I hate to tell y'all, but in the zombie apocalypse, none of you are coming to my house. (laughs) I love you. Tough shit. I have like enough room and food and ammo to protect me and my dogs and my husband. That's it. Fuck off. Susan, I want you to picture it. It's day 210. And you just hear, you hear this frantic running down the street. You peek out. There's a guy. He's got, (laughs) he's got yellow sunglasses on. And he's like, Susan! Susan, I brought Blackthorn! I brought Blackthorn! It's the last copy of Blackthorn! You gotta let me in! What happens? I shoot you in the face, honey. I've got I've got bushes, big beans. <laughs> I've got one strawberry Charleston shoe and the last surviving copy of Blackthorn. It's the 32x version of Blackthorn. Obviously, I do not have a 32x to play it or electricity. <laughs> do, do I make it into the cup? <sighs> well, it is a strawberry oh. Charleston shoe, not a banana one. So that's right. Don't screw that shit. Yeah. We're leaving the banana ones. We're leaving that to the dogs. Um, man, I I, I, did, did, I don't know if you guys were both thinking this, but as you were describing Frostpunk, Dave, I just kept thinking like this. This could canonically work. They don't know that there could be a global train that's going through the ice. Like, oh, it's totally is, Snowpiercer. It is. But like they could have like they could cross. They really over could. Shit. Yeah, absolutely. They could do a Snowpiercer. They could do that shit. And I, I bring up Snowpiercer not just because it's hilarious to think about this world crossing over with that one, but it is a perfect illustration of what you're talking about as well, yep. Susan. Like the the like what's your number? Snowpiercer, spoiler warning, everybody. Sorry, it's five year old movie. Statute of limitations is up. Uh but it's like that entire movie is based on we have the number yep. that is left. It's just exact. And it doesn't matter how cruel it seems. If you want life to persist, this is the ideal end. And it all fits in this one little system. And you better keep that system going. Um, it's hard, like, you know, even when you're talking through your apocalypse plan with somebody. You guys still have the apocalypse plan question. Like, it's fantasy, right? Probably less in the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> less frequently. It's less hypothetical now. Yeah. It's less hypothetical. Uh, nobody's really being like, I get all the Charleston shoes. And <laughs> Go down to the Home Depot, it'll be fine. Right. But, like, <clears throat> yeah. It's hard to... It's hard to sort of break out the math the the metrics of that uh, exercise and turn it into something that's entertaining enough mm. to not horrify mm-hmm. yeah no that like that i really like i played that like my eyes are bloodshot after two days basically playing it straight uh <laughs> last weekend just like it's it, it has that itch that like any good sim type game does where you're just like, hey, I'm going to sit down and play this. And oh, where did Saturday go? <laughs> nice. Uh, but, you know, you have to deal with who lives or dies. <laughs> Man, I don't know about you guys. but One of my favorite things about doing this show 
is one of us brings something to the table that the other two don't know anything mm-hmm. about. And then you're just like, man, that sounds cool as shit. Uh, I really hope that the people listening to this episode share that feeling. There is a subset of you that back us at the $10 level on patreon.com slash continue podcast and dave has a very special message yes for you. uh this is a special shout out to you our backers uh we've got Mirko rico torino ryan brady john nick grugan double taco yaddle gluttony one of seven peter ryan mance adam condra putin putnik santiago Matthew Peters, Michael Coffey, Thierry Belair, Eric Van Quill, Olmec, The Fancy Manatee, Denton Brock, Elio Dare, Oasis of Optimism, Ludwig Kitzman, Stormshot, Francisco Reyes Guimaraes, Kalen Houston, Axel Olsen Mangholt, Tyler Nilsson, Shane Nilsson, Jacob Christos, Chris Cook, Skip Dippity, Tim Chesson, Jose Bullet Babam Cordova, Daniel Squire, Tom, Derek Sanskrit, and Damian Michalese. Thank you guys so much. Oh, uh, I also wanted to share, like, yeah, if you back us at $5, you get access to our Discord. Uh, there were some wild... Uh, so the other day, <laughs> members of our Discord were trying to come up with what the name for the Death Note sequel would be. And it got very, like, like literally the entire day, chat was just taken over by this. And it got very silly. And I picked out three of my favorites, and I want to read them. So... D Sanskrit said uh, came up with how death got its note back. Nice, Yak, I like that. Yakbop has uh, the sisterhood of the traveling death note. Mm. That's, that's and then pretty, that's this one solid. from Kevin made me laugh out loud in my break room. Death note of a wimpy teenager. <laughs> oh no! So yeah, you wait, 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 wait! No. I have one. I have yeah. one. Okay. A, a series of unfortunate death notes. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. That's good. So you can join in on all of that fun and more in our Discord. $5 a month. Uh, Patreon.com slash continue podcast. Oh, oh, guys, guys, what? I got it. Okay. I got it. The, the death notebook. Oh, strong. Yeah. Strong. <laughs> Very strong. Surprise, everybody. Those old people who were in love were dead the whole time. <laughs> Did they die at the same time in that movie? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, they committed. Fuck, man, don't don't get me started. The only movie I hate more than Rogue One is The Notebook, and I just I'm I was in a room of elderly people okay. who had just watched it for the first time, and they were all ooing and eyeing about how tender and loving it was, and I was like, that movie is fucked. <laughs> they killed themselves, you fools! Love can't take you away! That's not how it worked! The guy from Maverick put a bunch of chemicals in his wife and then ate a pill! This is the darkness! So, so is it is it is that just like Nicholas Sparks' thing for shitty endings? Because, yes. because my wife was watching Safe Haven a couple years ago. And she's like, oh, it's just like a typical woman on the run from her evil ex-husband and meets a dude in the South. And it's like, oh, cute. Like, oh, conflict inevitably ensues because the boy, the boyfriend or husband, whatever, finds her. Everything. Until the yeah. end. When you find out that this guy that Julianne Huff has been uh, hanging on the entire movie 
on the run. His dead wife has been showing up as a ghost. No. And leaving messages to get them to hook up together. Oh, God. That's the twist of the movie. Stop it. That is so Okay, if you watch, I'm sorry, and I I, I mean no disrespect to your wife, that is some basic bitch stuff. No, she she watched that. Like, she was like, she's like, she was watching it, and she's like, oh, this is like, like, whatever. It's just dumb. Turn your brain off. And then the twist happens, and she's like, what the fuck is this? Like, she was angry. (laughs) Good girl. And now we hate watch it because it's funny. Okay, that's fair. I hate watch now you see me, like, constantly. Dave, uh, do we have free video we do. for people that uh, that have reviewed this yes. podcast about how much uh, Whitney Houston loves Review love? it on iTunes or share us on Twitter and you get your name into a virtual hat that I pick out of with the virtual pair of tweezers. None of this exists. Uh, <laughs> the winner of a free virtual video game is Superior2099 for le- leaving us a review on iTunes. Get in Yay! touch with... Yay! Yeah, get in touch with me on Discord or on Twitter, wherever, and I will get you a Steam code. Oh man, I wonder Superior Twenty Ninety Nine. I wonder if that is a reference to Spider Man, because there's. All right, that was about to get really nerdy. There's Superior Spider Man, oh, which is actually Doctor Octopus. So wait, Spider-Man. is the Superior Spider Man yeah, better than the Amazing oh Spider Man? Fuck up. <laughs> is there a Spectacular Spider Man too? Oh like I can't God. keep my Spider Man in check. <laughs> Glenn, there's, they all boil down to Glenn Spiderman of Forest Hill, Queens. <laughs> the podiatrist. <laughs> Glenn Spiderman, daughter of Ethel and Victor. Uh, oh my god! All right, all right, I'm done. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you would like to back this show, we are a backer-supported show. You go to Patreon.com/slash/ContinuePodcast. If you want to follow us on the internet, you can go to twitter.com slash continue pod. Uh, we're talking with some people about doing some fun streams. The lovely human beings that make that uh, new Toe Jam and Earl Ooh, reached yeah! out to us. And uh, we're, we're working it out. It'll probably be a little bit later in the fall, but we're going to have uh, we're going to have a show where the three of us play that new Toe Jam and Earl for your viewing pleasure. And uh, I think we have like the world's biggest Toe Jam and Earl fan. Goddamn right you do. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Goddamn right. She even likes the second so, one. <clears throat> it's good. And it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> not not the Xbox. Not the okay, original one... Xbox one. Yeah. Little We'll little talk about that another time. <laughs> it's not Go to Twitch twitch.tv slash continue podcast is just just give us a follow there. We're not super active there yet. We're but that's where that will be. Uh, Susan, where else can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Susan Arndt. You can find me every week at Pocket Gamer, where I will be talking about mobile games. Uh, this past, uh, most recently, I mean, it'll be out of date by the time you hear this, but, uh, Raccoon Dentist is the one I wrote about <laughs> most recently. That's a very silly thing. And, uh, the next time you hear this podcast, you will find out where I am at my new job. Uh, that's awesome. I'm so excited for you. Uh, Dave Roberts, work of the people. You'll find me on Twitter at David Robots, uh, and on Letterboxd, I sporadically update it with movies that I've seen. I need to update it with Perfect Blue, because I just saw that for the first time. It kicks ass. Uh, so Letterboxd.com slash David Robots. 
Uh, yeah, that's about it these days. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at a John Agnello. You can find me every single day at escapistmagazine.com and Tuesdays and Thursdays at twitch.tv slash escapistmagazine where I host a developer talk show, new developers and old developers. And uh, you can also listen to me on another podcast called Video Game Grooves, which is, it's exactly what it says. <laughs> have, it's, exa- it's just exactly No apologies. Like, all right. No apologies. No regrets. All right, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.